You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Hi, everyone. My name is Benga, and I'll be taking the reading today. So our scriptural reading today is going to be taken from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, and from verses 18 to 31. I read. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is reading. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, and I would frustrate uh, where is the person, where is the wise person, where is the teacher of the law, where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were, were when you were called. Not many of many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, and he despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Verse 29, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom for God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And the final verse, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Well, should we just bow our heads in prayer before we begin? Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. For your son's sake. Amen. So have you ever valued something or appreciated something, but to someone else it really isn't a big deal? Uh, you might say, hey, that's ridiculous, but to the other person it's something that's really precious and meaningful. Well, a couple of weeks ago was Valentine's Day. Do you remember that? I hope it was a good one for you. Um, now, what I say to my wife is, for me, every day is Valentine's Day. So we, we don't really need to do anything special. But for Joni, my wife, uh, Valentine's Day is ridiculous. It is special, it's to be marked, and it's probably on a par with Christmas Day. And so she, I have four children, she bought me four Valentine's Day cards for me to write, all for my four children. And she said she'd stop short um, with buying her own card. So I had to buy her a card. <laughs> and so on that day, we had, we had pizza, we had cupcakes, handmade chocolates, a trip out. 
Uh, I mean, all this and Jesus hasn't even been born. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. And so there's a difference between me and my wife, as with some other things, when it comes to valuing stuff. Uh, or have you ever seen one of those antiques roadshows? Who, who likes antiques roadshow? It's, it's look, church is a safe space. <laughs> we can confess our sin, no problem. It's... Anyway, so I hear antiques roadshow was something that looks, um, we look at it and you think, well, that can't be worth much. It looks pretty, pretty horrible, but actually turns out to be worth tens of thousands of pounds. Uh, I, I saw actually this week um, an, old, uh, an old watch that this guy had inherited from his brother, and he, he, he was pretty ugly, and he didn't wear it, he didn't like it, and the guy said to him, well, that's actually worth 80,000 pounds. 80,000 pounds. It's mad. And so what's of value determines worth, and we all value different things in different ways. And here Paul, the Apostle Paul, is doing something likewise uh, with this letter to the people in Corinth. He is saying, look, what people, what the world, often the church, thinks is ridiculous, crazy, worthless. Uh, the word here, some of the words used are foolish, despised is actually the most powerful thing in the world. In fact, it's wisdom, it's gold, it's precious, it's of value. What you deem as strong is actually weak, and what appears to be weak is actually power. Of course, this is the upside-down kingdom that we read about in the Bible. So what is this that Paul is talking about? Well, it is the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. So I want to give you the headline. Now, some preachers like to wait till the end. I'm going to give you the headline now, okay? And we'll work from there. Paul is wanting to make it really clear to the church here at Corinth that whatever problems you have going on right now, and there are many, but problems of division, uh, cultural issues, issues of on sex, on money, on food, on the worship gatherings, the answer to those problems will always be the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. You may want a command from me. You may want from this letter some kind of like top five tips, some commands, but I'm not going to give you a command. I'm actually going to give you a cross. I believe the cross must stand again at the very center of the church in our day and age, in our cultural moment. One of the reasons we put a cross on, on some of our branding and signage and we put it over here on the wall was to say to you and I and to say to our city and to remind us week in, week out is, look, the cafe bar, as nice as it is, even if we, sh even if we do um, Yorkshire tea, Fair trade coffee, kingdom coffee, whatever, oat milk. The cafe bar is not the center of the church. The lights aren't, the cameras aren't, the people aren't. Our issues that we bring to church and we want them to be the front and center of the whole of church life. The ministries, the wonderful ministries we have going on throughout the week. None of these things are the center of the church, but the cross is. And the power does not lie in the sentiment or the signage or the symbolism, but the power is in the message of the cross. We're not talking about having a cool tattoo of the cross. I know that's very um, 
Lots of people have tattoos of the cross. When I went to the city of Rome, you have these trinkets of religion all over the place, trinkets of the cross. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the treasure of the message of the cross. The message of the cross has been sought to be put on the margins really by other religions, by liberal scholarship, and sadly by many, many churches for generations. And Paul here is writing to a church who to some extent did value the cross, but they thought they had graduated beyond the cross into more spiritual things. You could argue it's like key stage one was the cross, and now I'm at university. We're on to bigger, better, wonderful things. And these things reflect the culture around us because much of the worldly culture entered into the church. So that was all about showing off with great academic wisdom, arguments, reasoning, philosophy, spiritual progress, things that show off strength and power and prestige. And Paul says, look, you have missed it. Simon Ponsby said, if you drop the cross, you lose the plot. And so we need to begin again at the beginning. That's what Paul is saying to this church in Corinth. You need to begin again at the beginning. The church here was showing signs of what you could call spiritual amnesia. They'd forgotten about their foundations, their roots, their center, which is the cross. And they'd allowed the world's popular thinking to be their focus. The atheist journalist Matthew Paris once criticized the church for being unfaithful to her theology and to, quote, bending to a prevailing mood. What an insight and what a rebuke by an atheist to the church, a prophetic rebuke that we are bending to a prevailing mood rather than being faithful to the gospel. The gospel is the criterion of all that we do, and Martin Luther expressed so succinctly, the cross tests everything. The cross tests everything. Let me cite a real clear example to reinforce some of the things that Josh was talking about. If you've not listened to Josh's talks uh, from last week, he did in the morning, were absolutely stunning messages. I'd say conference standard, personally. And um, talking about unity and dealing with division in the church. And uh, Josh talked a lot about unity. And, and Paul, from another angle, is really giving us the antidote to division and disunity. You may want to deal with this, look at various issues, but actually what Paul is trying to say is that unity only happens when we meet other people at that same rugged old cross. Churches together isn't and can't happen through some kind of diplomatic exercise. You know, some of my friends or the pastors in the city, you know, they will differ, we will all differ on certain things, but because the cross is at the center for us, we keep meeting each other there. And I was thinking this really is because also the gospel divides. Christ, of course, has also come to bring a sword. And so it's not this idea that everybody just, we just agree to disagree and we all play happy families and we all 
get on. The reality is, is that true unity means that we all come together around the cross. We've seen that in this great city of Hull. People ask me, look, John, how has unity happening right now, and it, which it is in a beautiful way, and we saw that at the Christmas carol service, city carols in December, where many churches, we had 18 partner churches, probably about 30 churches involved, and supporting that. And I would say this, when you put first things first, you will find other people, other leaders, other churches at the same place you are. So as we seek to put the love and worship of God first, the Bible first, the cross at the center, it means that we're actually all going after the same goal. And it's at the place of the cross where pride has to go, all our ego has to go, our sense of competition has to go, because the gospel is of first importance. Paul, Paul emphasizes this at the end of the letter in chapter 15. And the reaching the people of our city with the cross is our unifying purpose. So one of my close, some of my closest friends, we would differ on some issues of ecclesiology, on some interpretation of theology, but actually we meet at the cross. They're going for the same thing, we're going for the same thing, and we bump into each other. And it's beautiful. It is stunning. We're not talking about secondary, tertiary issues where we see some primary issues of the gospel being argued like Brexit. Well, you know, you're pro-Brexit, you were anti-Brexit, it doesn't really matter. Actually, there's some primary issues of the gospel that do matter. If I started going around the city saying, look, I believe there's a fourth member of the Trinity, well, stars, you couldn't call it a Trinity anymore, I wouldn't expect the other church leaders to gather around me and say, look, Oh, John's, he's sound, sound as a pound. Let's get along to some of his events. I would expect a stiff rebuke and probably be removed from office. Paul's correction to the people here is actually to give them the one thing they didn't want, but the one thing they needed the most, which is often in the economy of God in the upside-down kingdom. Actually, if God was to give us the thing that we want, it would be a disaster for us, but actually he gives us the thing that we need. And in the upside-down kingdom, the reality is, and it's, um, it's strange, but if you ever want to win, you have to lose. Any ground you ever want to gain, you have to surrender. It's actually the very thing that your heart desires, the process of what it means to follow Christ means it will be a completely different pathway. But ultimately that means is that Jesus gets the glory and we sit under that glory and the glory does not come to us. And so we have to die and carry our cross. Paul seems to be stating time and time again that Christ crucified is the one string to his bow. Like the culture just around him was just impressed by brilliance. Called the multiple religions and celebrated and statues to gods and to intellect. And Paul, no doubt about it, was an academic. He was a brilliant man with a brilliant mind. And yet what he seems to do, he goes from place to place, deflecting away from himself to the cross. 
He refuses to engage in a wisdom or a war of words. And he's super keen to stress here, look, I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here to draw a crowd. I'm not here to, for you to bow down to my intellect and my abilities. That's not what Paul was about. His heart was this, I must decrease so that Jesus increases. I must lower myself through humility so that Christ, him crucified, can be the centerpiece. Why will it, if you roll on to the next chapter, verse 5, it says that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He didn't want his arguments to be about wisdom and just conflicting, competing ideas. He recognized that the power of God lay in that apparent weak message of the cross. I wonder how many people you know, and I know countless over, over three decades of following Christ who have left the church and who have left ultimately the faith because actually their confidence and their faith rest in someone else, not Christ crucified. It rested maybe in a church leader that let you down. What Paul is saying, look, we, we can't be like that. It's not about me impressing, but actually it's about pointing to Jesus. I was talking to a friend just a couple of weeks ago, the largest church in Leeds. And he'd just been out to a, a conference in the States, a church that has multiple thousands of people, multiple campuses, just doing amazing things, a wonderful, wonderful church. And yet I think we both agree that the reality is, is if that lead pastor, which the whole thing seemed to revolve around them, if he was to crash and burn tomorrow, that whole church would probably implode. It speaks to this celebrity uh, culture we have when it comes to the church. I think Josh alluded to it, the Insta, Instagram uh, handle preachers with sneakers heard of that? That's why Josh got some new sneakers. I think they're really cool, to be honest. I came with basic black boots this morning. There's nothing wrong with having cool trainers. I like cool trainers, don't get me wrong. But what we've got to get away from is that we're drawing people, a crowd, based on how impressive we are and how cool and relevant we are. You look at the foolishness of the cross, it looks anything but that. Come the Son of God nailed to a cross, naked and shamed, bleeding, overturn all the powers of this world, change history, change our eternity. But on the surface, it looks like foolishness, something to be despised. And yet, it's the most precious thing we have in the world. Two simple points I want to make bring to you this morning. First of all, point number one, we do not outgrow the cross. We need to realize as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we do not graduate from the cross. We can't outgrow the cross. The gospel we proclaim to others on a day-by-day basis is the same gospel we must proclaim to ourselves. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, said this, the way in is the way on. It's actually the way to maturity is through the cross. Because if we 
don't believe that, the reality is we will revert to faith plus works very quickly. And people in the church tend to fall into two kind of polemic camps. One would be liberalism, where basically our behavior does not matter. Or legalism, where we become so focused on behavior, we become self-righteous. Both are camps that we need to avoid, and they're both theologies that we need to resist. We need to recognize that as Romans 3 states, that all of us, every single one of us, have fallen short of the glory of God. And the dividing line is Christ and Him crucified. We are all enemies of the cross. Yet when we come to rest in the finished and complete work of Christ on the cross by grace and grace alone, we do receive forgiveness and empowerment to live like Christ. And the warning here by Paul is not to be like the Jews at that time who were demanding miraculous signs or the Greeks who were looking to wisdom and um, good rhetoric and communicating things in a really polished way and they thought that brilliance came from that. But actually Paul is saying, look, avoid those two extremities but cling to the rugged old cross. And I believe the church today is actually in danger, particularly in the charismatic church. And don't get me wrong, I could tell you story after story, even this week, of supernatural, amazing things, prophetic things, signs and wonders, healing, glorious things. Just this last week, I had two whole days nonstop with burning heat on my body for 48 hours after Stuart prayed for me last Sunday. But do we make that the main and plain? No, it's really irrelevant. It really is irrelevant. My Christian walk, our discipleship, has got nothing to do with those things. Maybe you've come here today and said, I just need to feel something of God before I carry on this week. Our faith has got to go deeper. It's got to be based on God's promises, God's word, and the victory that he has wrought on the cross. Otherwise, we are in danger of embracing Gnosticism, where essentially in the charismatic church, we believe those who have a special knowledge, special revelation, special anointing, carry something special, the new thing that God seems to be doing. And there's nothing new under the sun, can I just say that? Even our best, most relevant ideas, even our newcomer's brunch. There's someone in the world who's coming with a newcomer's brunch, can I just say that? We're not the first to pilot that or pioneer or catalyze that. And so whether it's the next big move of the spirit or feeling or Jesus is turning my teeth into gold, whatever it is. And you know, we're, we're all for leaning into what God wants to do. Don't get me wrong. But it can't be our focus. It can't be our center. It can't be our daily bread. And we do not graduate from the cross onto those things. The Spirit of God leads us to the cross and the Spirit flows from the cross. The second thing is to not underestimate the power of the cross. So we don't outgrow the cross. We don't graduate from the cross. We don't underestimate the power of the cross. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a local school doing their Easter assembly. 
And it's one of those uh, moments where as I prepare my message, I felt the nudge of the Lord saying, Lord, don't say that. I want you to say this. And I'm like, oh, no, that's so inconvenient when God does that, isn't it? And I'm like, and then it went, what made matters worse is what he wanted me to say. And as you go into schools, you've got to be entering into people's worlds and you're not in a pluralistic age. So it's not like I don't stand up and go, thus saith the Lord and open my Bible. You know, 98% of people in the high schools that we go into do not believe in an authority. They do not believe in the Bible. They do not believe in God. So I can't pretend I'm going to school like I do here. And so, but I felt like the Lord say, I want you to unpack and exegete Isaiah 53, the prophecy of Jesus on the cross, and give it to them straight, straight down the middle, straight down the line. And I'm like, oh no. So I did, I did it, and I thought this will be my last time ever at this school. But I, I've, I've done what I feel like is an obedience talk. It was the, honestly, it was the worst talk I've ever done. It was horrendous. Just, just couldn't get my words out. It was just embarrassing. And so I went into the headmaster's office and I sat down there waiting for him to give it to me. And he sat and he wept for 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, he like just looked at me as though like nothing had happened. He just cleared his tears away. But he was struck by the power of forgiveness. After that, he started to introduce something called Forgiveness Week in the school. And we have a gospel that is breathtaking. It is life-changing. It is heart-racing. It's the story of all stories. God in Christ entering into our fractured, broken world, rewriting the story of billions of people to rescue the drowning, find the lost, free the bound, restore the fallen, create community, enlighten the confused, transform society. Without it, we're we're stuffed. We're doomed. And we all need this message of the gospel. I think about people coming to our church who struggle with addiction, who struggle with drugs, who are part of gangs. I think about people in sexual chaos. I think about me and my own sin. We do not need a nice message that will make us feel better. We need the cross because it's only there that the, in this seemingly weak power of the cross that actually is incredible, extraordinary power of God that hits our hearts, turns our world upside down, breaks the chains, and it ultimately leads to joy and freedom. The power of God is actually in the cross and weakness. And people are trying to veer away from it, go to the latest thing, the latest fad, what's popular, palatable, what fits with the current world's mindset. And we need to resist that because it lacks spiritual power. We need people to experience power that will radically change their life. I don't know about you, and I'll finish with this. But when I engage with people about faith, I share my faith. Look, sometimes I'm, I'm like looking for a knockout blow. Can I just say something that will just knock their socks off, change their world? And I feel inept. I, I, wish, I wish I could do more or say more. I wish I could just take an x-ray of my heart and just give it to people and say, look what Christ has done. 
in my world. Look how he saved me, he's forgiven me. Look how real he is and we feel weak in it and we feel weak as the only Christian maybe in our family and the only Christian in our course or university or in our neighborhood or place of work. But the reality is and the truth is God has given us one thing and one chosen means and that is the gospel of Christ crucified. And so it's tempting, isn't it, to look elsewhere for wisdom and power to connect and impress others. But actually, God's power works through weak people proclaiming a seemingly weak message which is often despised and dismissed by the world. Buildings are great, strategies are great, principles are great, techniques are great, but they're all just a means, a vehicle to present the gospel. The great missionary Hudson Taylor said this, all God's giants are weak people. We must embrace weakness. We must boast in our weakness. I'll talk a lot more about this next week, but let me give you a sneak preview. People are much more connected with us and interested in our flaws and our weakness rather than our strengths and gifts. You talk to me about what you're struggling with and I, I can completely connect with you. If all you have to give me is your strengths and how brilliant you are, I'm kind of out of there. We need... We need something with flesh, skin on. People are walking, living, depending on the cross of Christ. John Wimber said this, do not mess with the gospel. It was great then and it's great now. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.